I make no guarantees. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom. The two Torah portions for this Shabbat are Bamidbar, meaning in the wilderness, and Naso, meaning take up. And these begin the book of Numbers. For those who are newer to Shema, let me explain that the Hebrew names for the books of the Torah derive from the key word in the opening sentence of each book. This one is called Bamidbar because it begins with these words, Adonai spoke to Moshe in the wilderness, Bamidbar. So how did it get the English name Numbers? It's because God commanded Moses to take a census of all of Israel's men for both military and priestly purposes. And the verb to sum up or to take up in Greek is arithmeo, number. And the tally was impressive. 603,550 men fit for war. We also learn that the Levites were exempted from military service as God was setting them apart to serve in the tabernacle and at the tent of meeting. In chapters 1 through 4, God decreed how the tribes were to be situated north and south, east and west, relative to the tent of meeting, which itself would be at the center of the camp. He also apportioned out the responsibilities of the priesthood by the families Kohat, uh, Merari, uh, and Gershon. Numbers isn't exactly cheerful reading. It narrates Israel's repeated rebellions against God and Moses. We are shown at our worst. And yet, that very honesty is what separates genuine history from mythology. Mythology almost always exaggerates the virtues and exploits of its heroes and the numbers. Well, <clears throat> speaking of numbers, how tragic that out of those 603,550 men, only two, Joshua and Caleb, would ever would live to enter the promised land. Adonai sentenced that entire generation to die in the wilderness on account of their unbelief and disobedience to his instruction. And it was only 11 days journey from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, which was the threshold to the land. 11 days journey. Yet 40 years later, we were still wandering Bamidbar in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness isn't just a geographic location. It serves as a motif, a symbol, if you will, of the consequences of rebellion against God. When we ignore or try to circumvent his instruction, that's precisely where we will find ourselves, in a desolate place. But you know, there's good news here too, because the midbar can also teach us something very positive and essential a picture of what it means to be completely relying upon God day to day. We didn't survive 40 years in a scorching desert because of our great ingenuity. Rather, it was God graciously meeting our needs day by day. Water from a rock, manna from heaven, and quail from out of nowhere. It also teaches us what it means to repent to admit failure, 
to learn from it, and then to press on. The midbar teaches us about God's forgiving nature, that uh, God is always leaving the door open for repentance. He is forgiving. He desires to reconcile us to himself. And you know, the Haftarah reading that goes along with Bamidbar is Hosea, Hosea chapter 2. God spoke tenderly to us after indicting us for our disloyalty. He then spoke tenderly to us, wooing us back to himself, saying, therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her back into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Ahor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. That may be the most important takeaway from Parashat Bamidbar, that God leaves wide open the door to repentance. And so to you who may find yourself in a wilderness of your own making, he beckons you to return to him and be healed. Now, for our Jewish people today, that repentance consists precisely of recognizing that the Messiah has come. It is Yeshua of Nazareth. And until that happens, my people will remain Bamidbar in a spiritually dry place, outside the blessings and outside the promise. You know, it's it's. It's always less painful to learn from somebody else's mistakes than to have to learn firsthand. We are expected to learn from Israel's failures in the wilderness. This is why the psalmist warned us in Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. As in in Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. And God said, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. Failure is an inevitable part of the human experience ever since the fall. But it's made worse when we refuse to learn from it. Have you failed in some area of your life, practically, spiritually, morally? Did you learn from it? If you did, then you will have been bettered by it. Thomas Edison failed literally thousands of times as he tried to come up with the light bulb. Thousands of failures. And he welcomed it. He welcomed each failure as a a means by which to refine that process on his way to successfully creating the light bulb. The writer of Proverbs assures us that though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. So don't give up when you fail. Notice I didn't say don't give up if you fail. At some point, we are all going to fall short. Don't give up. With God's help, get up, turn around, and carry on. Press on. Now, the second parasha, now so don't worry, Rabbi Lauren, it's very short what I'm saying here. It really isn't twice as long. Nassau takes us from the middle of chapter 4 to the end of chapter 7. Chapter 4 continues the census of those three priestly families, Gershon, Merari, and uh, Kohat, set apart by Adonai to be responsible for the setup and the teardown and the transport of the tabernacle and all its materials. Holy schleppers. 
Chapter 5 includes the command that lepers or anyone having had contact with a dead person or in any other way ritually unclean must dwell outside the camp <clears throat> until they were clean again. They had to dwell outside because an infinitely holy God dwelt inside the camp. It also includes a description of the priestly test for a woman accused by her husband of adultery. Woven throughout Parashah Naso is the theme of holiness. God ordains separation. Did you know that in Judaism, marriage is referred to as kedushin, from the Hebrew word kadosh, holy, set apart. The covenant of marriage mutually excludes the husband and wife from every other person on earth, setting them apart for each other only. And this is why historically, both Judaism and Christianity have regarded adultery as a heinous offense. This trial was highly unusual, but the benefit is that the matter is taken out of the hands of a jealous husband and reserved for God to judge. Furthermore, a public trial served as a deterrent. Our sinful nature is kept in check in part through the threat of severe consequences for wrongdoing. Chapter 6 describes another form of holiness, the separation of those who take a Nazarite vow. The word Nazir means consecrated, either in a religious or a ceremonial sense or set apart for high office. The Nazarite vow lasted for a minimum of 30 days, but could last much longer, in rare instances, for a lifetime. And during that time, strong drink, grape juice, wine, grapes, and even raisins were prohibited. The Nazarite was prohibited to, uh, from eating anything that grew on the vine. The Nazarite was also required to let his hair grow until the completion of the vow, at which time it would be cut and burned on the altar. Then once the vow was completed, he could again enjoy the fruit of the vine. And of course, chapter 6 also contains the Aaronic blessing, that prayer, that blessing that God gave Aaron and his descendants to pronounce over the sons of Israel, which is pronounced to this day in synagogues all around the world and including here at Shema. Chapter 7 describes in great detail 12 days worth of lavish offerings presented to Adonai by the leading families from each of the 12 tribes. In ancient Israel and in our new covenant community, the principle remains that everyone has a role to fulfill. Everyone has things to give. Now, not everyone can afford lavish offerings. Not everyone was able to lift and carry the heavy and precious items for the tabernacle. Not everyone was called to separation as a Nazarite. But each of us has something to offer God and to his community. You are expected, please hear this, you are expected to identify your God-given gifts and resources and employ those things to his glory and to the benefit of his people. Amen.